Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep into beloved stories, fantasy characters, themes, theories, and more. We're doing a bonus episode today because we were Surprise. not expecting, not expecting to record today. But here we are because Rebecca Yaros decided to basically stop our hearts this morning by dropping an excerpt from Iron flame. And as always, before we dive in, content warning, this podcast is rated R like the book Fourth Wing, as well as what we can assume Iron Flame will also be. Now look, the only steaminess in this excerpt comes from Solace. However, you never know where this conversation could go. So you have been warned. We also, of course, talk about spoilers, everything from all of Fourth Wing, all of our uh, speculations for Iron Flame, of course, this excerpt from Iron Flame, anything else that Rebecca Yaros has ever said is on the table. So if you don't know why we almost broke into uncontrollable sobs reading Sloane's name for the first time, please go and read the excerpt, which we will link in the show notes below. Before we dive into the excerpt, let us begin with a battle brief, aka summary of this passage. We open on what feels like a very leadership speech by none other than old shit stain Dane, which quick shouts to Mac1991540 for coming up with that nickname. Thank you. You commented on, on our videos on TikTok, and I loved that name so much I included it in the episode. But upon Kat's terror, and terrible breath. A first year from tail section breaks out of formation and sprints back towards the parapet, attempting to flee. Now, this is a friendly reminder for our dragon riders to play hygienist every once in a while and check your dragon's teeth. Damn it! Following the first year's lead, two more first years from third wing decide to run away as well, and sadness sweeps over the wing. To quote our favorite pink-haired badass, fuck they actually think they're going to make it. Speaking of favorites, our favorite curmudgeon of a dragon, Tarn, screams to Violet to look back at Solas, a dragon that we have yet to meet. The one-eyed dragon, though, is toying with his prey, letting these three first years make it just far enough so that they believe they're actually going to make it to safety before opening his mouth and letting fire erupt from his throat. Violet lunges for Sloane, Liam's little sister, tackling her to the ground as she screams for her squad to get down. But Violet ends up really feeling the heat as she covers her dead friend's little sister with her body. As the fire erupting from Solus's mouth stops, Violet turns back to face the damage. Those who listened to her, they ducked. They're alive. Hooray. However, those who did not or didn't act fast enough had a one-way ticket to Malak, the god of death. Turns out Solus took out not only the three runners, but also one of their first years and at least half of third squad. The passage ends with chaos erupting. And chaos has erupted over the internet this morning. Holy moly. Good. Love that little touch there, Rebecca. Props to you. I love it. She knew what she was doing. Of course she did. Okay, so before we get into our predictions, our theories dissecting every single little morsel of this passage. We want to start with, here's what we now know about Iron Flame from this passage of the book. Number one, we're back at Bisgaeth, which we also knew coming into Iron Flame from the Iron Flame's summary. However, what I am very curious about is how the hell are we going to get from Arisha back to Bezgaeth. How does that timeline work? Where does this book begin? So that's a really good question. I actually am in the camp that I think we're going to start, the, the book is going to open back at Bezgaeth. And with throughout the first, let's say, quarter of the book, it's going to fill in 
everything that happened in between the big gap with, with Violet and Brennan, what's going on with her and Zayden. I'm extremely curious about what happened with graduation because Zayden and his fellow third years were supposed to graduate within a week after they returned from the war games. Did that happen? Like that would be a little awkward. I don't know. I love that you're thinking it's going to open up on conscription day. I, however, think it's literally going to open up with Brennan's alive. Like I see him. I'm staring at him. I think it's going to be like Violet sitting on the bed looking at Brennan. That's how I think it's going to open up. Because you're right. We haven't gotten her perspective on on that. Okay. We only got Zayden being like, this is going to be bad. I'm still going to stick to my guns and think it's going to conscription. Are we adding this to the to the list of things that we're betting on now going into Iron Flame? So everyone, so so Nicole and I, we are uh, we don't agree, which is really fun. We don't agree on quite a few theories here. And so we're placing bets. Of course, we can still be convinced before Iron Flame comes out. Yeah, we have the right to change our mind. We have the right to change our mind. Up until like the, the book is in our hands and we start reading it. And, and so we're making a place in a few bets and we will get m- more on those later. It's yeah, fun. we'll we'll go into those in a future episode, I think, as they especially as they come up. So, um, yes, let's add it to the list. I vote. I just did. Today. Okay. <laughs> One thing I wanted to pull from the Iron Flame summary, however, that I think supports this passage, because a lot of people were like, are we going to go back to Bezgaia? Like, is she just going to be Arisha? Is this going to be a Deathly Hallows situation where we just leave school and go here? I I always had the feeling like she was going to follow the model of first, second, third year, or at least first and second year. We have no idea where it's going to go. But I love this quote from the Iron Flame summary, which is a quote from Zayden. It says, the first year is when some of us lose our lives. The second year is when the rest of us lose our humanity. And that just makes the stakes go like go all the way up because like you know first year we have the gauntlet we have presentation we have threshing we have all these different events and things she has to you know overcome whereas like going into this we're like what does she gotta do now like train and lightning now obviously we know that andarna is probably going to be giving her some signet we know that that's going to be a huge thing there's gonna be all the tension with dane and we assume a few other characters which we'll get more to in a second but like i love that passage and i'm i'm, I'm so glad we're back at bezgaeth i can't wait i am too i am too and if we're back at Best Gaeth, guess who else we're back and hanging out with? <sighs> Dane. Dane. God, God fucking damn it, Dane. <laughs> um, okay, so from this passage, we can strongly assume, we don't know, but we can strongly assume that Dane is a wing leader for multiple reasons. One, when Zayden was giving his, like, what, what did you call it, Lexi, in episode one? Huzzah! Huzzah! He's like, let's hurrah, hurrah. Obviously, major air quotes, because they're like, you're going to die. <laughs> but well, well when- it's, it's that, like, after after you finish at the parapet, and it's just, like, this, like, sense of adrenaline, this this feeling of, oh, my gosh, I can conquer the world. And yeah. this this wing leader, you know, it was Aiden last year, and apparently, you know, we can believe it's Dane this year, it is feeding on that, you know? Like, they, you got to you gotta get them going somehow, right? Well, and because Zayden was giving it last year, uh, Sigail comes and like lands right behind him and like, you know, stocks, you know, stocks on up. But in this excerpt, Kath is there. So we're assuming that Kath is taking the place of Sigail. Dane is taking taking the place of Zayden. There's also heavy, heavy foreshadowing in Fourth Wing that Dane is going to be promoted to wing leader, especially because Devera at the end of the book is like, oh, Dane, that's a very uh, wing leader answer, my dad. The second I read that, I was like, God, fuck. Like, he's going to be a wing leader. Damn it. That's before we even learn about the whole touching her. I hated Dane from the start. This also, this speech reminds me so much of Zayden's in the opening chapters. It, it definitely does. And OK, I got I to gotta talk about Kath's uh, bad breath here. Because, okay, 
So, so on one on one end, like everything about this excerpt, there's it, it feels like there are no throwaway lines. Now, of course, it is just an excerpt from the book, and not every single line of the book has extra meaning to it as much as Nicole and I act like it does. But I do really think that there is something there to Cat's bad breath. I cannot believe that I am analyzing a dragon's like breath right now, but here we are. So like for one, maybe Dane hasn't been taking care of him because, you know, he's a little preoccupied with the fact that he, you know, recently sent Violet out to die. Or maybe Cat got into something extra nasty. Like what is he been eating? Hmm. So just that just needed to throw that out there with Hmm. Wonder what that's what's up with that. Now, here's what I will say in regards to this, because I do agree, like nothing in this excerpt was like a throwaway line. Everything was like Rebecca Yaros, like peeling, like she was like, this was a very specific excerpt. However, there are a lot of moments in Fourth Wing where it's like these like little one liners and like high tense situations where it's like there to diffuse the tension, right? It's there to kind yes. of be like, ha ha, gotta get it. We get this in Harry Potter. We get this a lot in Feyre for uh, Court of Thorns and Roses. Like this is a very like typical author thing with like high intense dram- dramatisy types of books. But I also believe that because this is an excerpt, that's very specific. There right? we don't know. So, but th- that is a good point that it could be just injecting, I'll say, like realism or humor into it. So that. That is also very likely, yes. Speaking of characters that we know about in this excerpt, we get a Sloan mention. Yay, Okay, can Sloan. I be on? I, I, so I was on TikTok this morning. Um, I normally have a really hard and fast rule about not being on my phone in the morning, but since we started this podcast, <laughs> that has just gone out the fucking window. And I was on my phone this morning at like 6.23 or something, and I saw Rebecca Yaros' post about the excerpt, and I was like, boop, boop. So I immediately open up my laptop. I immediately read it. The second I see Sloane's name, instant tears. I don't even know this girl. And I'm weeping over her at 6.26 in the morning. (laughs) Like, I don't even know her. But here's what we do know about her. Number one, she made it across the parapet. We're proud of you, girl. You did it. And number two, Violet is already taking upon herself to protect her. We knew that this was going to be a thing, but it was really cool to see that that was already taking place right from the get-go. Speaking of characters, we get a Riddick. Imogen and Quinn. So it seems to us like Violet is in similar company that she is going to be in a squad with these same people. We're going to get more into that in a moment. However, there are no mentions of Re. We're also going to yeah. get more into that in a moment. But enough with the old characters that we know. How about the new characters we get? Oh, well, everybody is talking about this character, Solus, who is a dragon that, oh my gosh, makes Sigal seem like Betty White. Holy okay, moly. Oh, the way you describe that makes it seem like Segal at conscription day when they're like getting sorted into their, you know, different wings. That Segal looks at Violet and is like, ooh, Zayden, look at Violet. <laughs> Not staring her into the oblivion. I love that. So I, I did a little bit of Googling and the name Solus means light for what that's worth. And I just wanted to to wonder if if this dragon is a wing leader's dragon, which we'll get to in a little bit here. What if it is like a light versus shadows sort of play on in in the writer quadrant leadership here? Just obviously say it in with shadows and there's this other dragon. It's meaning means light. I wonder what that means and alludes to. So mm-hmm. um, another new character that we meet is named Eric a fellow squad member who protects a redhead from the fire. So that's all we know about Eric, but I already like him. I want to talk about the names in fantasy books real quick, because Eric reminds me of Eric and Arik from Fire and Blood or House of the Dragon, uh, depending on what you watch slash read. 
But like, it's literally, George was literally being like, I'm going to name these two twins, Eric and Arik, and no one's going to be able to figure out who they are. And then our Eric, Arik, whatever, is here in Iron Flame. A A R I C. We're going to get like an anus, a king anus. Good God. If Rebecca does that to me, I, I don't think I can love her more. I will. I will love her more. I will. I will just drop dead that's oh my gosh king anus god i love you george finish your books please um okay so that's everything we know so predictions this is the part that you were all probably tuning into speaking of some new characters let's keep it going with solace what whose dragon is this i am of firm mind that this is the new vice commandant so in the summary for iron flame it says, and I quote, it's the new vice commandant who's made it his personal mission to teach Violet exactly how powerless she is unless she betrays the man she loves. So we know that there's going to be this new big bad character, basically. And my assumption is that Solus is coming in as this big bad character's dragon and just roasting half the people or, you know, at least 12 people in the squad. So I I am a firm mind that this is the new commandant. However, if this is a new commandant, what the hell happened to the old commandant? I'm like, my mind immediately goes to like Snow from Hunger Games. Like, was he killed because the rebel kids somehow survived? Like, is this a Seneca situation? Like, I don't know. I believe that the vice commandant is replacing Commandant Pancheck, who we who we met in Fourth Wing. And they mentioned early on in that book that that this position was just a stepping stone for him. So I think he got what he wanted. I think it was just a stepping stone. He's moved on to bigger and better things. Now we have a new vice commandant here to replace him. There is a theory out there that I think is definitely worth noting that the new commandant is Dane's dad, Colonel Atos, who is obviously General Sorengale's aide. That is interesting because he, Dane's dad is obviously already in a position of power, but this would put him in a very unique and different position of power, um, especially as it relates to Violet. Okay, look, like, we're not supposed to like Dane's dad. Like, we're not supposed to like him. But I also, like, don't no, I do hate him because like at the very end of the book, he like does everyone dirty. But like, you know, when we're talking to him, when it's just Violet talking to him, like obviously Satan's there too, but he's totally ignoring him. He's just like a dude in those moments, you know? And like, I don't think, I, but I don't know because then at the end, he like does a total 180. But like, it, I, I don't know. I almost want it to be like a total new character where he, like almost like where they come in like an umbrage situation where they come in like, boom. Boom, boom, and like take the book by storm. I I absolutely agree with you. I just think that's that's fun to throw out there. Yeah. Oh, totally. I I think that it is necessary to bring in a new character because you get, you know, same characters. It might get old pretty quickly. So, yes, I agree. Yes. So back to Solus. So I also want to point out as we're talking about whose dragon this could be that the way that this scene played out in Violet's first year, Commandant Pancheck gave a very short speech and then he left. And that is when the wing leaders stepped up and that is when their dragons flew in. So if this is going the same sequence, which we don't know that, but let's say that it is, that means that uh, Solus would have to be a wing leader's dragon which then means that it would have to be a third year's dragon, which means that it would have been a second year last year. So who who can we speculate that would have bonded with a crazy dragon like Solus? I love this idea, but I feel like it has to be the new commandant. Like, I know you're not fighting for this theory, but like the more I hear it, I'm just like, ah, especially because of the summary of the book. It says like, 
this commandant has made it his personal mission to teach Violet exactly how powerless she is. Like, he just sounds like he's going to come in, like, fucking hot. No pun intended. But, like, if it's just another wing leader. But also, like, that leads me to ask, like, who are the other wing leaders going to be? Like, we didn't meet a whole lot of second years. No, we like, didn't. Except for Imogen. Yeah, and, and since she's down over with uh, with the crew in the squad, then I don't think that she would be in a position of power here. Yeah. And there's also something to note that they might not be wanting these marked ones to be in positions of power after what happened. Again, we have no way of knowing how the, uh, she wouldn't have just gotten away with it. Anyway, more on all That's of that a- here soon. Good. I think another reason that we can believe that it is this vice commandant's dragon is that um, Solus is described as having one eye and which is probably from battle. We, I think it's a safe assumption there. So, you know hardened warrior dragon with a hardened warrior um yeah. writer i think that that goes pretty hand in hand there it's just poetry right there is what that is <laughs> now to be to play devil's advocate i do think it's commandant's dragon the new commandant's dragon however these dragons are you know a hundred plus or a hundred years old so maybe they got into a fight in the first rebellion war or something like that. for instance Terran has uh battle scars on his yeah. wings i remember seeing that description there so yeah. yeah let's move on to a character who actually was not mentioned in this excerpt but we need to talk about her absence because what the heck is going on so re it's heavily foreshadowed in fourth wing that re is going to be a squad leader um like she's just kind of rising up really quickly and violet even says towards the end she's like you're a shoo-in next year like you can do this so i'm i'm taking that as as gospel as well as the dane mention in duvera's class so if she is a squad leader however is she violet's squad leader because I fucking hope so, but she wasn't mentioned, right? She would have been mentioned if she was if she was with all of them. Like she she has a voice, and she would have said something in that whole. She would have been like, there. and like dropped down, like. But like, so there's no there way that they, at all. Yeah. What do you mean by that? No, like I mean, like I don't want her to die. I mean, but we don't know. We haven't seen like something could happen in the war games, and I I don't think that Rebecca would make her die off screen though. Like I really if, don't think she would do that. I'm pretty sure if Rhiannon dies off screen, people would riot. But here's so, here's my thing. Like, would it make sense liter- literarily, literarily? Sure. Um, if Re was not Violet's squad leader, because I'm assuming Dane is, which we'll get into in a second, but I'm assuming Dane is her wing leader. But is Re her squad leader? But Or, or is that just too coincidental that all these people are just like linked still? Well, I think that brings us into our next section right here yeah. is talking about the different wings and, and the different squads. So when we think about like who's in what squad, who's in what wing, like how this whole scene played out. So we know that at least two of the runners are from first squad of the tail section in third wing. Then, as Violet narrates, they head towards our wing. I think that we can safely assume that that is still fourth wing. And so then she says our section, not her squad specifically. Remember, there are three sections per wing and three squads per section, equaling out to a total of 36 squads among the four wings. I think that the Solas breathed the fire in her section. However, it took out half of third squad while she is still part of second squad like she was in the first book as well, which again, I think that it's still a lot of the same crew. I don't know how that works because, you know, squads do get consolidated towards the end after threshing. So I don't know quite how that works from year over year, but I think it is safe to assume that our crew are still in second squad 
flame section fourth wing. I'm so impressed by you right now in what you just said. And if you want a further deep dive on how the how on how the squads work within the writer's squadron, please go back to archive section of episode one and listen to that. We dive super yeah, yeah, into yeah. that. Originally, when I first read this, I, I read this as she's mentioning third wing a lot. She's mentioning third wing a lot. Like, is she in third wing? Like, this is so weird. But then I realized she's saying third wing and then later she says our wing. So it makes sense to me that third wing is not our wing. And if the only wing she didn't mention, like she mentions first wing and then she mentions third wing. She does not mention second wing or fourth wing by name. But it would make no sense if she was in second wing. So we're assuming that she's in fourth wing, but we don't really know how that works. But also the first book was called fourth wing. So if she's not in fourth wing, that would just kind of be like, wah, wah. it's time to talk about Dane. Oh, Dane. God fucking <laughs> damn it. Dane. So, OK, so this is another part that Nicole and I respectfully disagree with one another. So, so for, well, actually, let, let me back up with something that we absolutely do agree on is that Dane is probably Violet's wing leader. We are all like wondering, like he thinks that he just sent her off to die. And so is he going to be a little bit surprised when she comes back? I believe so. Now, how is she going to perceive him? Because she's got to be a little bit pissed off. However, I really and truly believe that this excerpt strengthens the theory that Imogen wipes her memory, or at least parts of it, so that she erases her memory that includes Arisha, maybe includes the battle as well, very specific memories. And so then when she comes back, her memories are protected. So because she essentially does not remember what happened, so therefore Dane cannot get in. I think that that is supported here because she is you know, obviously subjective as she's narrating. And she has very like objective descriptions here of Dane. She's not seeming to show any particular emotion, either good or bad towards him in this situation. And I think that if she was still holding on to some of that resentment, we would have picked up on more language reflecting that. I don't want this to be true. I know. And I and really I understand don't why. I want this to be true. Because the the reason is, is because like, I really don't want her to forget how Dane did her dirty like i i really don't want her to forget that also like i want every morsel of that paragraph and i'm assuming it's going to be a long paragraph <laughs> of her seeing dane for the first time and being like you motherfucker every one of us fans are waiting for that paragraph and if that's just like taken away from us because imogen's like wiped some of her memories i'm gonna be so sad but so sad it's way too convenient of a power to counter Danes for it not to be put to use. I think she's just going to be like, no, way. no. I think she's just going to be like, no, no, don't touch me, Dane. Like, don't touch me. Like, I think that she's just going to, like, be pissed at him and, like, not let him near her. But if he's her wing leader, that's not really great. I don't know. Yeah. I I, I really don't want this to be true. I, I think that that confrontation will absolutely happen, but I don't think it's going to happen as early in this book as most people. That's my two cents. Mm. I know, right? Fuck, you're convincing me. No, I don't want it to be true. I'm saying it for you. No. No. All right. Well, well, let's I want to talk about Stone. Yeah, let's, let's talk about something that we do agree on. How about that? Well, my question is, like, as we're reading this, you know, this excerpt, like, it sounds to me like Violet obviously knows who Sloane is, but it sounds to me like Sloane also isn't assuming Violet's just a total stranger. Like, they're standing next to each other. 
But who knows? Like, that might just be an assumption. But, like, does Sloane know that Violet is looking out for her? Is this the first time they met? Or did they meet prior to this? Like, did she go to Arisha? And if if the book does open up on Brennan, like, did she go to Arisha? And did they meet there? I'm assuming they probably meet uh, on conscription day for the first time. But, like... Does how much does Sloane know? Like, does she know Liam's dead? Well, she, she she would definitely know it when she crashes the parapet if she didn't know that beforehand. Um, which I'm sure she she Her would. But again, it all depends on how they navigate their way back to yeah. Beskaith. I am definitely going to be in the camp that they meet on conscription day because Sloane was being fostered elsewhere. So there is no way that she would be at Arisha. So so anyway, so I think that the way in which Violet recognizes her, we have quite a few options here. Uh, door number one, she either recognizes her because she looks so much like Liam, which I don't think is the case because remember Liam's description? Maybe she's got his same blonde hair. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think she's as big as Liam. If she is, go girl, but I'm assuming not. Um, I think that she's probably going to be a little bit more, um, Violet's going to see some of herself in her. Yeah, and I think that's, exactly that's going to be, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, door number two, maybe someone says her name and that's how Violet, you know, is able to recognize it. I also wonder if Violet goes to her squad leader, maybe that's Ree, and says, hey, I need you to put Sloane in our squad here. And the squad squad leader says, yep, sure, I got you, girl, and brings Sloane into the squad. When she calls her name, then she's able to recognize, okay, cool, that's Sloane, that's who I need to protect here. Or door number th- four here is that Taryn knows uh, through Zayden, you know, to Gail and Zayden, like they obviously know who Sloane is. They Zayden at least grew up with her. So Taryn is the one who tells Violet, hey, girl, that's Sloane. Go look out for her. So I think we have plenty of options there. I do want to bring up a prediction I have about Sloane. I posted it on TikTok and I'm very, very sad it didn't go viral. So I'm going to share it here as well. We've that- had enough go viral in the last 24 <laughs> hours. It's not getting great. All right. I, all right. Uh, I think that Sloane um, is also deaf, like Jasenia, um, mm-hmm. Vi- Violet's scribe friend. I think this because Liam was able to sign with Jasenia, and Violet was pretty surprised by that. It's not something that I just everybody learns, at least not where she's from. Mm-hmm. And I think, and she never asks Liam why, but she means to. And I think that it's because his sister um, is also unable to communicate with her words. So that's how. So she's also, also be, deaf. Well, that would also be another way that like Violet sees her herself in Sloane is like Violet came in at a disadvantage. She had this chronic, she has her chronic illness, but like Sloane, if she comes in deaf, like they're both, they both have that thing that they have to overcome in order to, you know, that huge barrier that other people don't have to overcome yep. that makes it so much harder. So like I could totally see that being a part of this. Yep. And, and while I don't think this excerpt either confirmed or denied it because you know violet does call out to sloan but there's no confirmation that sloan heard her in fact that's very noted within that except there also you know violet gives her credit for not crying out while i think that of course if your deaf use can still you know talk make noises that could also play a little role into it so anyway just just my two cents there i really do think that sloan is deaf too i'm holding on to that well especially especially the fact of how surprised she was when she saw liam like start to sign she was like the fuck like yeah you know so i think that i i I really hope that, that this is true yep really hope so let's get down to the finale here so uh solace just like eliminated half of third squad more than half of third squad so, and the, first of all, I'll say this. The first time that I was reading this, I read it as third wing. 
And I was like, oh, my God, like that's like 100 people. And then I reread it and was like, oh, no, it's it's just third squad, which is like, you know, 15 people are in a squad. Oh, who have you become? I write like, oh, just this many people died. Just 12 people. So I uh, broke it down and I did the math with how many people died in this little excerpt here. So let's estimate that at least half of this third squad that got burned are eight people. Remember, there are 15 to 16 people in each squad uh, starting on conscription days. So that equals out to about eight people. So eight people plus one of the assumed second squad first years when Violet refers to as our first years. I'm assuming that's second squad that she is in. So plus another one that's nine total plus the three stinking runners. So that equals out to 12 people died in this 500 word excerpt. Yeah. How dare they be scared and run away from dragons who breathe fire? How dare they? They're going to die. Like you might as well stand you know, and like shit your pants for all I care. You're going to die if you move. <laughs> okay, so Zayden Ryerson under the tree getting a death kept. So this really, this poses a gigantic question of like, why the heck did this dragon do this? It's not just about burning the people who aren't worthy. Like I get that. But just flat out burning. Like, okay, so also remember that squads include both writers and cadets. There is nothing that says it was just cadets who are not writers. Yeah. So did Solus just burn some writers? And if that's the case, aren't their dragons going to be a little bit pissed that one of the other dragons just killed their writer for literally no reason? I have two theories. One that just popped up is what if Solus was like, you know, the dragons are starting to get mad. You're going to talk about this more in a second. But, like, mm-hmm. The dragons are starting to get mad that the humans are staying safe behind the wards of Navarre. What if this dragon, like if this is a wing leader's dragon, for instance, like let's say this is not the commandants, this is a wing leader's dragon. What if the dragons are starting to now lash out on the humans and say, fuck all of y'all, you're not doing anything, we're going to start lashing out. Now, another option, and this is the one I, I think I believe more, is that if this is the commandants, again, going back to that passage that's in the summary for Iron Flames, it says, the new vice commandant who's made it his personal mission to teach Violet exactly how powerless she is. She is fucking powerless in the most this moment. Yeah, she can duck, but like there goes 12 innocents who are just dead immediately and they know uh, that Violet technically can't. nine innocents cuz the three runners, I don't count them as innocents. Are you serious? They started it. Yes. <laughs> I'm saying 12. Fuck you. I'm saying 12. The 12 innocents like they knew, like, leadership knows that that's going to get a rise out of Violet. Like, she is going to feel so helpless and powerless. So I think that that's just the new commandant being like, I can kill everyone and you can't say a fucking thing about it. That's where I'm leaning more into. Well, it's also, if well, let's say this. If the commandant himself had killed half of their squad, that would have been different than the dragon killing them. Because remember, nobody can control a dragon. The humans are the pets here, not the dragons. I think that, yeah, to your point there, the dragons are getting more and more pissed off at Navarre, at Navarre's leadership, at Big Skyeth War College here. Fewer of them are bonding year over year. And now this just happened, which really just made the stakes even higher, um, which I did not realize was possible in the writer's quadrant. I do want to point out one of the biggest criticisms about Fourth Wing is how wasteful of lives Rebecca makes the writer's quadrant and says, you know, how unrealistic that is. Some even call it bad world building. 
I wholeheartedly disagree with this. I will get into all of my reasons defending why she does what she does and paints this cultural picture in a different episode. However, I bring this up because like, wow, Rebecca, way to just like shove this in our face. It's just like be like, oh, you thought that was bad? Hold my beer. This is what happens in the next book. And I think that partly with how open she is about the casual way of death in this culture, I think that we're going to get more context. There is something more to this just nonchalant perspective, both from the dragons and from leadership that we are going to to learn more about in subsequent books here. And I think that she's very confident in in that so that's why she's essentially going up to bat against this criticism with this excerpt well and like this is literally called the empyrean series it's not called the fourth wing series like this is literally the dragon society like there's we are going to get so much more downloads about dragons now i'm going to go into this so much more in episode three when we're talking about presentation but i have to talk about it here because as they're doing their presentation strut you know they're like walking down the runway in front of all the dragons Re and Violet are talking about the venom and the fables that their parents yes. told them growing up. And they're talking about, you know, like the wyvern and all this stuff. And Luca, little bitch face Luca, a few people ahead of her is like, what are you talking about? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you guys are so stupid. That sounds really blah, blah, blah. And a few pages later, Homegirl gets absolutely incinerated. Now, Riddick says, like, oh, I guess they thought that she was insufferable, too. But what if the dragons, again, going back to my point, they're starting to act out. They're bonding fewer and fewer people every year. What if the dragons are now starting to be like, you guys don't believe in this bullshit? We will riot. We will start burning you, a.k.a. why they might have burned Luca. Now, on the opposite end of that spectrum, Violet and Rhee were literally talking about the venom and how they're like, oh, like, more open-minded with it. And... Very soon after, two greens come behind Violet. Now, it's assumed that they're smelling tiny on Violet's armor. However, what if they also got the green green light because they were talking about Venon and Wyvern? And that was another reason why they were like, oh, we can trust this girl. She's great. I think that is a very good point to bring up here. I, But it's also like, it's so random with half of Third Squad. Unless it's not random, because again, going back to the vice commandant, what if, you know, every single squad is going to have some marked ones? They could only have up to three. Maybe there are a few marked ones included in that, in, in those people who got burned. I don't know. Yeah. So like maybe it, it's, the dragon aimed, like, like aimed for it. Like maybe, truly maybe. Or, or may, I, I think more than anything, it was to prove a point. Yeah. yeah. I, that is where I'm firmly standing i think that this was to prove a point that these these cadets or these writers are fucking powerless yep yep oh once november 7th i can't wait all right friends that's all we got on a 500 word document and we just did 42 minutes on it (laughs) we want to take a moment though and from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. I don't have any, I, I'm truly out of words. We thank have you. been absolutely speechless. So the podcast launched yesterday morning. And to give you all a little bit of context, Nicole and I, we had we started with no community. Like we had, what, 40 followers on, on TikTok and like maybe 20 on Instagram. We were starting literally from scratch here. And we were hoping for maybe 20, pl- 20 listens of the podcast. Just, you know, like we're just two sisters. We wanted to come together. We wanted to you know, take our texting conversation onto the microphone. And as of right now, more than 
one what what is it one thousand a hundred people have listened to us and it hasn't even been out for 36 hours so we are like humbled and blown away and and the emails are coming through the social media dms and comments are coming through you all are so excited to share your theories to share your thoughts to tell us which quadrant you'd be in too we absolutely love it and just Thank you. Thank you. Keep it coming. Share this with your friends. We know quite a few of you are doing a book club on Fourth Wing. Please make sure to have everybody start listening to this podcast so you can, you know, use us as your, we, we say that you can use us as source material because we double check everything. Even if the source is Reddit, it still counts, right? Um, kind of with little asterisks next to yeah, it. Yeah, asterisks on that one. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank you so much, really yeah. and truly. Echo Lexi, I, I we can't thank you enough for everything. Please keep the DMs coming. Please keep tagging us in different theories and videos. We're so excited about that. Also, if you haven't shared with your friends who are fellow Fourth Wing fans, please, please, please do the. Or if they're like halfway through the book, send them the first episode and be like, you can only listen to this when you've finished the book, and that'll be their like carrot at the end of the book to like make them finish it. Oh, look at I've actually like, had a few people do. A few people have sent me DMs like that. They're like, oh, we're doing this, like, and I'm like. Oh my God, that's brilliant. I love that. But more, like most importantly, share with friends, share on social media. If you do have a minute to rate and review the show, we're getting a lot of ratings on Spotify. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're truly just blown away. All of our links to our socials, our YouTube, our um, email, if you want to write us, um, are all going to be in the show notes, as well as the excerpt from the Today Show of Iron Flame. And um, we know that Rebecca Yaris has also teased that on September 15th, there is something else dropping. You all... You all, don't worry. We got you. We are going to be keeping a very close lookout. I don't know if we're going to be able to have another podcast on it, whatever it is, because we we need to see our husbands at some point. And and I have two, two very young children. Yes, who who need their mother. Um, however, Wait, can I actually, just, hold on? It is Lexi's anniversary today. <laughs> so shouts to you, Jake. We love you so much. Anyway, if you are still with us right now, thank you so much. Um, we will talk to you all in episode two. Bye.